poets and intellectuals of this time, the innovative minds, the intelligentsia, those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk takers, the revolutionaries, those living apart from this big unrest, those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption. Welcome to the Bohemian Beat. We will journey beyond the horizon and find the artists living on the edge, going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original and brutal. You have tuned in to The Bohemian Beat. I'm ready with you for another poetic hour as we journey to the stars through wormholes, black holes and extraterrestrial possibilities. But first, let's start with a big bang.
Live with The Big Bang from their album titled Circus Maximus. From The Big Bang to Aliens, Ken Nordine uses poetic word jazz to communicate his strange encounter with an alien in his piece called Outer Space. From his 1958 album Son of Word Jazz, Ken Nording, born in 1920, is American voiceover and recording artist best known for his series of word jazz albums. If you'll turn the machine on. Are we getting through? Is anything happening? I mean, Will they, will you turn the right knobs? I mean, we're on the air. Is that good? Oh, you say we're getting there. Oh, fine. Good. Any minute now. now please be patient. I mean, it's very difficult to contact outer space. Oh, now they're coming through. Here they are. Wait. The questions will come any minute now. Here they are. Why, of course. Yes, we have many, many women here on Earth. They're beautiful, actually. They're different from men, and we revere them. In fact, uh, women are extremely important to us here on Earth. Um, I hope that that answers your question, but uh, is there anything else that you'd like to know? Well, I, I told you about the women. I mean, they, uh, you know, you're repeating the same question. Uh, maybe you don't have anything like that where you are. By the way, how are things where you are? Oh, I see. Well, I'm sorry I brought that up. Is there um, anything else that you'd like to know? Oh, well, temperature here is very, very nice right now, actually. For the time of year, we, uh, we like our weather. We're very pleased with it. Uh, it's been one of the warmest winters we've ever had. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that it's been so hot where you are. Uh, well, that's the way things are, you know. Oh, by the way, I'm I'm interested in knowing if if you have. Um, hydrogen bombs where you are. Oh, I can tell by the way you said that. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to give to us as a message from outer space that would mean something? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that you're uh, so frightened of us. There's no reason. Uh, 
we on Earth here are merely testing. I mean, these are nothing but uh, little uh, attempts of science here, you understand. for their bodies and it lulled them into thinking they weren't dumb they did guns extreme sports special hobbies and cool tricks with their fingers and thumbs and they thought they would be guaranteed delivered to some guy in roman sandals and a beard so they bought and they fought and they twittered by 2153 they disappeared oh they waited for their god in vain yeah they waited for their god in vain in the last big play of the final game they waited for their god in vain Sacred work and screed They obsessed over minor variations Misconstrued the truth to justify their deeds And they thought that all the others were afflicted And those who knew the secret handshake would be saved And they thought in the end they'd all be lifted Now they're lying in the beds that they Gilkinson with 21.53 and before that Ken Nording with his piece Outer Space. The novel Contact by Carl Sagan published in 1985 deals with the theme of contact between humanity and a more technologically advanced extraterrestrial life form. Carl Sagan who lived between 1934 and 1996 was an American astronomer, author and educator. 
Many of Sagan's key concerns are explored in the novel Contact. How science is done, how scientific findings can be communicated to non-scientists, the relationship between science and religion, the strange and interesting personalities of scientists, SETI or search for extraterrestrial intelligence, and what a discovery of extraterrestrial intelligence might be like. The heroine in the story is astrophysicist Ellie Arroway, who discovers and decodes a message from the stars with instructions to build a machine. In the following piece, Ellie and her fellow scientists chosen for this crucial mission begin their journey when they enter the machine. In the manifest that the project required, under personal effects, she listed frond, comma, palm, comma, 0 0.811 kilograms. Derheer was sent to reason with her. You know there's a splendid infrared imaging system you can carry along for two-thirds of a kilogram. Why would you want to take the branch of a tree? A frond, a palm frond. It's all in Ivanhoe. Didn't you read it in high school? At the time of the Crusades, pilgrims who made the long journey to the Holy Land took back a palm frond to show they'd really been there. It's to keep my spirits up. Now, the earth is my holy land. I'll bring a frond to show them where I came from. The palm frond served another purpose, she realized. She needed something to remind her of earth. She was afraid she might be tempted not to come back. The day before the machine was to be activated, Ellie received a small package. There was no return address, and inside, no note or signature. The package held a gold medallion on a chain. Inscriptions had been engraved on both sides, small but readable. One side read, Hera, superb queen, with the golden robes, commanded Argus, whose glances bristle out through the world. On the obverse was the response of the defenders of Sparta to the commander of the Roman army. If you are a god, you will not hurt those who have never injured you. If you are a man, advance, and you will find men equal to yourself and women. She knew who had sent it. It could have only come from Palmer Joss. The machine goes somewhere, Ellie thought. It was a means of conveyance, an aperture to elsewhere or else when. It could carry you out of the stifling provincial towns of your childhood to the great crystal cities. It was discovery and escape and an end to loneliness. It was not glory she was seeking, not mainly, not much, but instead a kind of liberation. Her heart sang in anticipation. She would discover, she was sure, what else is possible, what could be accomplished by other beings, great beings, beings who had, it seemed likely, been voyaging between the stars when the ancestors of humans were still swinging from branch to branch in the dappled sunlight of the forest canopy. Drummond, like many others she had known over the years, had called her an incurable romantic. She found herself wondering again why so many people thought it some embarrassing disability. Her romanticism had been a driving force in her life and a fount of delights. Advocate and practitioner of romance, she was off to see the wizard. A status report came through by radio. There were no apparent malfunctions. Their main wait was for the evacuation of the space between and around the benzels. A system of extraordinary efficiency was pumping out the air to attain the highest vacuum ever reached on Earth. She double-checked the stowage of her video micro-camera system and gave the palm frond a pat. 
Two of the spherical shells had now spun up to what the message had defined as critical speed. They were already a blur to those watching outside. The third Benzel would be there in a minute. A strong electrical charge was building up. When all three spherical shells with their mutually perpendicular axes were up to speed, the machine would be activated, or so the message had said. The walls flickered and became transparent, and it seemed the earth opened up and swallowed her. They were falling. The pentagonal panels of the dodecahedron had become transparent. So had the roof and the floor. Above and below, Ellie could make out the organosilicate structure and the implanted erbium dowels, which seemed to be stirring. All three benzels had disappeared. The dodecahedron plunged, racing down a long, dark tunnel just broad enough to permit its passage. The acceleration seemed somewhere around 1G. It was hard not to entertain the thought that they had plunged into the mantle of the earth, bound for its core of molten iron. There was a texture to the tunnel walls from which she could sense their speed. The patterns were irregular, soft-edged mottlings, nothing with a well-defined form. Even a few hundred kilometers beneath the Earth's surface, the rocks would be glowing with red heat. There was no hint of that. Every now and then, a forward vertex of the dodecahedron would brush the wall, and flakes of an unknown material would be scraped off. The dodec itself seemed unaffected. Soon, quite a cloud of fine particles was following them. Every time the dodecahedron touched the wall, she could sense an undulation, as if something soft had retreated to lessen the impact. The faint yellow lighting was diffuse, uniform. Occasionally, the tunnel would swerve gently, and the dodec would obligingly follow the curvature. She could feel a continuous physical anxiety in the pit of her stomach. Black hole, she thought. I'm falling through the event horizon of a black hole toward the dread singularity. Or maybe this isn't a black hole and I'm headed toward a naked singularity. Near a singularity, causality could be violated. Effects could precede causes. Time could flow backward. And you are unlikely to survive, much less remember the experience. For a rotating black hole, there was not a point, but a ring singularity, or something still more complex to be avoided. Black holes were nasty. The gravitational tidal forces were so great that you would be stretched into a long, thin thread if you were so careless as to fall in. You would also be crushed laterally. Happily, there was no sign of any of this. Through the gray, transparent surfaces that were now the ceiling and floor, she could see a great flurry of activity. The organosilicate matrix was collapsing on itself in some places and unfolding in others. The embedded erbium dowels were spinning and tumbling, Everything inside the dodec, including Ellie and her companions, looked quite ordinary. Well, maybe a bit excited, but they were not yet long, thin threads. These were idle ruminations, she knew. The physics of black holes was not her field. Anyway, she could not understand how this could have anything to do with black holes, which were either primordial, made during the origin of the universe, or produced in a later epoch by the collapse of a star more massive than the sun. Then, the gravity would be so strong that except for quantum effects, even light could not escape. Hence black. Hence whole. But they hadn't collapsed a star, and she couldn't see any way in which they had captured a primordial black hole. Anyway, no one knew where the nearest primordial black hole might be hiding. They had only built the machine and spun up the benzels. 
Ellie felt the deceleration before she could see it, as if they had been on the downslope of a roller coaster, had leveled out, and now were slowly climbing. Just before the deceleration, the tunnel had made a complex sequence of bobs and weaves. There was no perceptible change in either the color or the brightness of the surrounding light. She picked up the camera, switched to the long focal-length lens, and looked as far ahead as she could. Magnified, the texture of the wall seemed intricate, irregular, and just for a moment, faintly self-luminous. The dodecahedron had slowed to a comparative crawl. No end to the tunnel was in sight. She wondered if they would make it to wherever they were going. Perhaps the designers had miscalculated. Maybe the machine had been built imperfectly, just a little bit off. Perhaps what had seemed on Hokkaido an acceptable technological imperfection would doom their mission to failure here in... in wherever this was. Or glancing at the cloud of fine particles following and occasionally overtaking them, she thought maybe they had bumped into the walls one time too often and lost more momentum than had been allowed for in the design. The space between the dodec and the walls seemed very narrow now. Perhaps they would find themselves stuck fast in this never-never land and languish until the oxygen ran out. Could the Vegans have gone to all this trouble and forgotten that we need to breathe? Hadn't they noticed all those shouting Nazis? Everyone noticed that the walls of the tunnel were undulating, closing in on the dodecahedron, squeezing it forward. A nice rhythm was being established. Every time the dodec would slow almost to a halt, it was given another squeeze. Ellie felt a slight motion sickness. In some places, it was tough going, the walls working hard, waves of contraction and expansion rippling down the tunnel. Elsewhere, especially on the straightaways, they would fairly skip along. A great distance away, Ellie made out a dim point of light growing in intensity. A blue-white radiance began flooding the inside of the dodecahedron, glinting off the black erbium cylinders now almost stationary. The contrast between the subdued ambient light for most of the trip and the swelling brilliance ahead was striking. They were rushing toward it, shooting up the tunnel and then erupting into what seemed to be ordinary space. Before them was a huge blue-white sun, disconcertingly close. Ellie knew in an instant it was Vega. I'm not very good at uh, singing songs, but uh, here's, here's a try. If you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. Much more than just recollect 
nationally since 2007 across the community radio network. We just heard Carl Sagan with A Glorious Dawn and before that an extract from his book Contact read by Jodie Foster. In this next piece author Robert Hamilton speaks about the theory of the Big Bang. The Big Bang theory is generally thought of today as the standard cosmological model of our universe. It purports to show that some 13.7 billion years ago, all matter and energy originated in singularity, a point of infinite density and temperature. Ever since the Big Bang, the universe has been expanding and cooling down. There are three main strands of evidence to support the Big Bang theory. First, galaxies are moving away from us at speeds proportional to their distance, suggesting expansion from a single point. Secondly, the universe is pervaded with cosmic microwave background radiation, presumed to be a faint afterglow of Big Bang energy. Thirdly, the amount of the most common chemical elements that astronomers observe in space correspond closely to the extrapolations of Big Bang theory. Now, whilst one might accept this as possible or even probable, it is by no means empirical or satisfactory or indeed conclusive. The biggest question that arises here is, what came before the Big Bang? And to this, science has apparently no answer. Stephen Hawking, in his book A Briefer History of Time, seems to admit that it is not possible to provide an answer, and he claims that, in any case, it is not relevant to the theory. He states, As far as we are concerned, 
events before the Big Bang can have no consequences and so should not form part of a scientific model of the universe. We should therefore cut them out of the model and say that the Big Bang was the beginning of time. This means that questions such as who set up the conditions for the Big Bang are not questions that science addresses. This statement seems unacceptable to the extent that scientific theory presents an assertion claiming rather emphatically that this is how it all began and forms the beginning of time. However, because no definite answer can be provided as to the real origin of things before the Big Bang, then, arbitrarily, we shall start at some later point of time and designate that as the beginning. That is the scientific explanation, and all that happens thereafter is scientific fact. reading about the Big Bang Theory from his book Caduceus, A New Perspective on Historical Knowledge and the Spirituality of Man. String theory, Big Bangs, gravity, quanta, infinity. How do we grasp these complex paradoxical substratas of reality? To help us along, a physics student with a good voice and complex lyrical sensibilities 
provides a quirky look at both string theory and Queen with his piece, Bohemian Gravity. Is string theory right? Is it just fantasy? Caught in the landscape, out of touch with reality. Vibration. They become particles. Vibration. They become particles. 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 Particles. Vibration. They
shall they become particles? Become particles. Become particles. Mamma mia, mamma mia. Acapella Science with Bohemian Gravity. This is a Bohemian Beat, a show about poetry. The following poem by English poet Christina Georgina Rossetti examines what might happen if stars dropped out of heaven. If Stars Dropped Out of Heaven by Christina Georgina Rossetti. If stars dropped out of heaven and if flowers took their place, the sky would still look very fair and fair earth's face. Winged angels might fly down to us to pluck the stars, be we could only long for flowers beyond the cloudy bars. Gravity is always pulling us down, gravity is always pulling us down, gravity is always pulling us down, pulling us down, pulling us down. Gravity makes you lower than this, what could make you lower than this? Gravity pulls you lower than this, lower than this, lower than this. What could you do and what could you say? What could you do and what could you say? What could you do and what could you say? It's gravity, gravity. Behind the wall, there's no protection at all. Listen to the screaming, listen to them holler. Gravity, gravity, see the love or squalor. Gravity, gravity, a law of nature. Gravity, gravity, oh gravity, there's nothing lower than gravity. Pull to the left, pull to the right. Gravity, all day, all night. Some kill this and some rape that, and some are somehow worse than that. 
stars down to the earth. Gravity is what it's worth. War, war, you can't get enough of war. War, war, you can't get enough of war. War, 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 all our lives, that's all we saw. Lou Reed with Gravity and before that Gisela Rowe reading a poem by Christina Georgina Rossetti called If Stars Dropped Out of Heaven. In this next poem by the American poet Robert Frost called Choose Something Like a Star, the narrator speaks to a star in the sky and urges it to give him something to believe in. Although he acknowledges that stars are naturally quiet, the narrator still begs the star to say something to him. The star simply replies, I burn. The narrator is not satisfied with the star's response and urges it to be even more specific. He explains that a few words from the star would be enough to help humanity strive for greater heights and at the very least be comforted. O star, the fairest one in sight, we grant your loftiness the right to some obscurity of cloud. It will not do to say of night, since dark is what brings out your light. Some mystery becomes the proud, but to be wholly taciturn in your reserve is not allowed. Say something to us we can learn by heart, and when alone, repeat. Say something, and it says, I burn. But say with what degree of heat, talk Fahrenheit, talk centigrade, use language we can comprehend, tell us what elements you blend. It gives us strangely little aid, but does tell something in the end. And steadfast as Keats' Aramite, not even stooping from its sphere, it asks a little of us here. It asks of us a certain height, so when at times the mob is swayed to carry praise or blame too far, we may take something like a star to stay our minds on and be stayed. Stains our yellow teeth and all our fingers And underneath our fingernails that clasp on sheets As we try desperately to sleep Hearts are sad and eyes are tired And all this red bull keeps us wide Gives us wings, it gives us rings around our eyes We put three sugars in our tea Sit to watch daytime TV And laugh at mums who don't know who the father is And all our girlfriends are long gone We watch too much internet porn Who needs love when you've got silicon and strap-ons Beer bloats our spoiled guts And shit jobs keep us in ruts And keep us sign up the what's and ifs and buts and maybes And falling over in the street is just a part of every week And we lie drunkenly just staring at the stars 
Remember when they were in reach And all the teachers used to teach You can do anything if you put your mind to it We put our minds to it all But disappointment crashed the ball We could have done anything We just never quite knew it So tie your scarf on tight It's to be a cold night Tie your scarf on tight It's to be a cold night And tie your scarf on tight It's to be a cold night And tie your scarf on tight It's to be a cold night with Staring at the Stars and before that Robert Frost reading his poem Choose Something Like a Star We will attempt to squeeze in one more poem using bohemian quantum powers to try to stretch time The poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow is called The Light of Stars and is read by Colin The Light of Stars by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow the night is come, but not too soon, and sinking silently, all silently, the little moon drops down behind the sky. There is no light in earth or heaven, but the cold light of stars, and the first watch of night is given to the red planet Mars. Is it the tender star of love, the star of love and dreams? Oh no, from that blue tent above, a hero's armour gleams, and earnest thoughts within me rise when I behold afar, suspended in the evening skies, the shield of that red star. O star of strength, I see thee stand, and smile upon my pain. Thou beckonest with thy mailed hand, and I am strong again. Within my breast there is no light but the cold light of stars. I give the first watch of the night to the red planet Mars. The star of the unconquered will, he rises in my breast, serene and resolute and still, and calm and self-possessed. And thou too, whosoe'er thou art, that readest this brief psalm, as one by one thy hopes depart, be resolute and calm. O oh, fear not in a world like this, and thou shalt know ere long, 
know how sublime a thing it is to suffer and be strong. Longfellow called The Light of Stars. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this epic adventure to the stars today on the Bohemian Beat. I'll be back, same beat time, same Bohemian frequency, 
next week with more poetry and music. We will end with a track called Black Holes in My Brain by Barry Adamson from his album I Will Set You Free. Thank you for joining me on the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready.
brain.